Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Ah, that's good. That's good. Two o'clock. You've got your alarm set so you can join us live. And if you can't, good, good. You've got your alarm set to join us at the repeat of the show at 5 p.m. Eastern. My goodness, everybody, ticking off the boxes. Wonderful. I guess I should do the same, right? Let's bring in the co-host for today's edition of Kelly and Company as Ramya Muthan is away this week. Mr. Brock Richardson, what's up, pal? I have had reminders galore this week. Like, my phone is going off for every reason, like, just to remind me to do this or that. It's it's just a total change in my world. But I will say that uh, right now, as we sit here, Canada and U.S. are dropping the puck on their round-robin game at the Women's uh, World Championship, which I am recording um, but yeah, there's lots of good stuff going on in mid afternoon today. So do you have, um, have you always been an alarm person? Um, up until yesterday? No. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I just ask for forgiveness when I forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But there is so much going on this week that I have to have reminders. I have to have alarms because... Otherwise, I wouldn't be in the places I should be on time. Uh, yeah, so this is becoming uh, of new norm for me, which I kind of like because it kind of keeps you all in check of like what you're doing, where you're going without forgetting. And then, as you point out, having to ask for forgiveness. Uh, multitasking. That's the big thing. And if you become more famous, then you get handlers. They'll remember that stuff for you. Yeah, I don't think that'll be that for me, but we You'll can stick always to alarms. Help. You'll stick to yeah. alarms then, right? <laughs> well, let's take a look, folks, at what we've got ahead on this edition of Kelly and Company. How can we make our salad a full balanced meal option? Nutritionist Julia Cranches, she'll let us know in a little while. The Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians is celebrating their 30th anniversary. We learn more with uh, Mercy Yale, National President, and Diane Brent, member of the 30th Anniversary Committee. We're joined today by AMI-audio manager Andy Frank. He's going to be talking to us about some of the changes this fall that you can experience when you hang out with us here at AMI. So he'll have a lot of details for those of you interested in kind of wanting to keep track in Hour 2 right here on Kelly & Company. I got another note, folks, a few things that uh, kind of keeping you up on things happening. SELA is partnering with AMI, CNIB, TMU, and Ebound, a nonprofit organization that assists independent Canadian publishers in creating accessible digital books. They are currently developing a best practices guide for images, image description, uh, and accessible picture books and graphic novels. In developing the guide, they would like to include valuable feedback from print-disabled readers via a survey. If you're a fan of accessible picture books and graphic novels, uh, please, if you're interested in getting involved in the survey, please contact Joanne Peck at Joanne... Excuse me, let me make sure I spell this to you too, folks. Uh, Peck, P-A... 
excuse me, P-A-K at C-N-I-B dot C-A. There will be an honorarium that is provided for all selected participants. So uh, do check it out. Get in touch with Joanne and uh, get involved. It should be a really interesting thing. Glad to see so many organizations right there in on making sure that they get the right answers. They get the right clearance and, and information from all of us out there. A new Statistics Canada, uh, this particular study has found that some racialized populations in Canada had significant maturity rates uh, from COVID-19. The Statistics Canada study estimated COVID-19 mortality rates among some racialized populations in Canada in 2020. It found that black people had the highest mortality rate, more than two times higher than non-racialized people. South Asians and Chinese people also had higher mortality rates. Additionally, the study found a person's socioeconomic situation played into COVID-19 deaths. People in low-income, overcrowded housing and apartments had higher odds of dying from COVID-19. Kelly Malone, The Canadian Press. So some of this, Brock, we heard as the pandemic was unfolding, um, especially people in the bigger cities, uh, people economically challenged, living in in uh, apartments, in, in places, but mostly people not getting the right information, not maybe in their language of choice. So when you hear of people of color, you start saying, okay, were they just more susceptible to the pandemic or what factors... Um, and in this country, do we do we assume that, OK, people uh, of color living in poor circumstances um, left out of being included in giving them the information on how one should protect themselves, not getting access to to vaccines as quick or, or masking or that education of the importance of it. And and I know people will sit back. So what do you talk about the education? We all know they're important. No, we don't. It's not something over here in Canada. We before the pandemic did not run around wearing masks, and still in North America had to be told, wash your hands, more than twenty seconds, sing happy birthday, whatever you got to do, but spend that time doing it. Yeah, it, all of that to me was fascinating, and I just yeah, I had heard that that you know, racialized communities had uh, higher mortality rates for sure. But the one that I found the most fascinating was the fact that if you live in, you know, uh, depending on your income and if you're in a, if you're in a, an apartment, say, for example, um, that can be. And, I, and for me, having had it twice, I begin to wonder if that's where my wife and I got it from. Just mm-hmm. simply, you know, touching the same surfaces, elevator buttons, those things. But all of that, very fascinating stats for sure. Yeah, that's it. A lot. And we'll see what they do with that, especially moving forward when we, you know, get into this winter. Uh, Here's something for you to smile a little bit about, folks. Something kind of unique. A member of the San Diego Zoo's African penguin colony is now sporting some new footwear. Here's more. The San Diego Zoo has fitted one of its African penguins with special footwear to help it deal with a degenerative foot condition. Four-year-old Lucas has lesions on his feet due to a chronic condition known as bumblefoot. If left untreated, bumblefoot could lead to sepsis and death by infection. Now he's rocking custom shoes made of neoprene and rubber to prevent sores from developing. I'd imagine that that also keeps them on the feet where he's not. These things are bugging me. Get these off. You know, we talk about people with dogs wearing boots and so on and how much they just get this crap off me. I'll take my chances with the salt. 
Yeah, having uh, frequented a lot of different zoos in my time, it's you know it's kind of cool when you see those innovations like that to help protect uh, animals. Bumblefoot is a nasty, nasty situation. Can be very uncomfortable for the animals. So I'm glad to see that this is being taken care of. But kind of at the same time, amusing to hear that footwear is being sported. Yeah. Well, and how easy of a solution? Well, with some of our technology and getting them on, sure that it is great and not so difficult as we might think that to keep them on. I, I wonder about getting the the the, the special uh, you know shoes on. Bumblefoot sounds like a nickname. Well, we'll be back in a little bit. It's uh, Brock and Bumblefoot here. We'll return with more on Kelly and Company. Dr. Danielle John kind updates us on monkeypox and transmission of this condition to our pets after the break. Okay, we're off and running, folks. Another edition of Kelly and Company. Thank you for being with us wherever you're hanging in. Appreciate it. If you want to reach out to the show at all, you can do it simply by asking a question by email. Feedback at ami.ca. That's feedback at ami.ca. The gang at Marketing and Communications can help you out if you have questions about our show, AMI-TV, AMI-Audio, or AMI-Tele. Just simply uh, ask your questions to, to the folks over there. Also... You can ask a question by simply calling us, 1-866-509-4545. Leave a message, mention it's for Kelly and Company. If you don't mind, also give us permission to put it on air. Uh, maybe we can use it in, in that aspect as well, 1-866-509-4545. And if you just want to check out anything about Accessible Media Inc., visit the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. Like it if you want to, but there's lots of great conversation and content out there. That's the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. Kelly McDonald here with Brock Richardson. It's time to talk to our resident veterinarian, Danielle Jonkind. The human-animal bond plays such an important role in people's lives. And as a veterinarian, it's my privilege to help keep those bonds strong and healthy. I'm Dr. Danielle Jonkind, and welcome to Ask a Veterinarian. We, we have all heard about on the news about the World Health Organization declaring the outbreak of monkeypox around the world and to be a public health emergency of international concern. How many cases do we know about and how many are out there in regards to our pets? Can they be transmitted from pets to humans? Well, Dr. Danielle Jonkine fills us in on this. Danielle, welcome back to the program as always. And can you tell us a little bit about how big this outbreak really is? Sure. So um, a little bit of background on monkeypox you know um it's it's a bit of it's a virus that's uh, endemic to parts of africa um and historically you know the, the people who typically you know get monkeypox were those who lived or traveled to um these places near tropical rainforests and you know there are wild animals in these places who typically serve as a reservoir for the virus to infect humans when they come into contact with these animals and human-to-human transmission of the virus in the past was, you know, possible, but usually very limited. And, you know, there have been cases that, you know, pop up outside of Africa in the past, but, you know, they were usually associated with travel or 
with contact from potentially infected animals. And 2022 was the first year that an unusual number of human cases and even a few deaths from monkeypox were reported outside of Africa. And since January 1st of 2022 um, to August 7th, um, there have been 27,814 lab-confirmed monkeypox cases reported to the World Health Organization globally. And, you know, to give you an idea of what a big jump in cases this is, um, the CDC in the U.S. reported two cases of monkeypox in U.S. citizens in 2021. Uh, both were in people who had traveled. And so far this year, they've reported over 9,000 cases in the U.S. Now, I couldn't find any statistics on monkeypox cases in Canada prior to 2022. But even our own public health agency has now counted over 1,000 cases here in Canada. So it's a pretty big jump compared to what it has been in the past. So you've mentioned that some African wild uh, animals... Uh, serve as a reservoir for human infection. Can you tell us which animals uh, are are doing that? Well, we we only have limited information on which animals carry monkeypox, but infections have been confirmed in um, squirrels, rodents, mm. and non-human primates that are native to Africa, um, and in prairie dogs uh, from the U.S. There wow. was actually a bit of an outbreak in the U.S. in 2003 when some African rats were imported and housed near prairie dogs, which were then in turn sold as pets, and that resulted in something like 47 human monkeypox infections. And of course, all of them were in people who handled the infected prairie dogs or handled the equipment and bedding that came into contact with them. So, I mean, you know, those animals, it it has been confirmed that they can get infected and transmit it to people. Wow. It's interesting when you stop to think which animals, what, you know, and when you list them off, you stop and say, "Really? really? And because obviously I have no idea one animal from another, what makes it more susceptible? It's very fascinating when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a puzzle, and any time we get yes. a disease that's potentially transmissible from animals to humans or in the other direction, there's always this big question mark hanging over it, going, "What about this one? Is this one going to be one like that or not?" <laughs> you know. And is there any situation at all where, like, household pets can kind of contract this in some way? Well, again, we have some limited information on this, but actually um, the Lancet Journal published a case of a dog with confirmed monkeypox infection on August 10th of this year. And the case was such that the two people who lived in the house were diagnosed with the disease. And 12 days later, their dog developed skin lesions too. And so the dog was examined and swabbed, testing positive for the virus. And the virus isolated from the dog and the humans in the household was genetically sequenced and was found to be identical, which is pretty strong evidence that the dog had the same strain of virus as the people in the household. Wow. So what does this mean? Was the dog ill with the disease? Well, you know, it it honestly isn't surprising that a pet living in a household where a person has an infectious disease 
um, would test positive for the same infectious disease. So, I mean, we know that microorganisms like bacteria and viruses are, are pretty much everywhere, all over surfaces and in the air and, you know, and everything. And, you know, if a person brings a virus into the house, of course, it's going to be floating around looking for another body to be setting up shop in. And, you know, all bodies, whether they be pets or people, have immune systems to deal with the daily onslaught of these little micro invaders. Um, just because they're in our environment doesn't mean that they're going to cause disease. Um, differences right. between species, you know, like differences between pets and people and different species of animals um, make animals more or less susceptible to viruses carried by people and will determine whether or not they will get sick after being infected with a virus. What's compelling about this case with this dog is that the dog actually had skin lesions with the infection, suggesting that the virus was causing some clinical signs of disease in the dog. You know, what we don't know for sure is whether dogs can transmit the monkeypox virus to other dogs or to an uninfected person. Until we know for sure, though, it's better to exercise caution, you know, and just assume it's possible. And once we find out, hopefully that won't be the case. But we already know that people can be infected from other species of animals. Um, having said all of that, you know, people should definitely not freak out about this <laughs> because, of course, at this point, you know, if a dog has monkeypox virus in its body, it probably caught it from the people in the house. And, you know, it's definitely not recommended that people get rid of their pets to avoid catching the disease. And I mean, really, if you think about it, the opposite is true right now. Our pets should be getting rid of us if they want to avoid catching it. And so you mentioned the airborne is sort of the way you felt that the... Uh the dog contracted it from the family. Is there any other way that monkeypox can be transmitted that we know of? Well, according to the CDC in the U.S. and the World Health Organization, um, monkeypox is transmitted through coming in contact with infected body fluids. So, um, like discharge from the skin lesions. Um, it can also be transmitted on towels, uh, bedding, clothing that has come into contact with skin lesions. Um, there's also evidence it can be transmitted through respiratory secretions. Um, scientists don't currently know if someone can transmit the virus when they don't have symptoms. I know that was a big thing at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. You yes. know, they didn't know whether, you know, asymptomatic people could transmit it. We know they can now, but at mm -hmm. the beginning we didn't know. So with monkeypox, this is a big question mark right now too. But in the case of the dog case of the dog who was infected, you know, it uh, it slept in bed with the people in the house. And, you know, so, of course, you know, it could have been in contact with body secretions and bedding and clothing and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, you have to kind of consider that. And, and of course, normal day to day interactions with the dog. You know, we pet our dogs, we hug them, we kiss them, we cuddle with them, you know, and that could also certainly expose the dog to the virus. So. If, well, if you have monkeypox, what are the current regulations or, excuse me, recommendations uh, for people who have it regarding their pets? What should they be doing? 
Well, most of the recommendations are based on the precautionary principle, since there's a lot of information we don't yet know. So, of course, if someone in the home contracts monkeypox, um, they ideally should not be caring for the pets unless there's no other option for anyone else in the house to do so. It's not recommended that you ask a person from outside the household to care for the pet. Um, generally, the best thing to do is to ask a healthy person in the house to do so instead. Um, of course, you know, anyone who's immunocompromised, pregnant people, you know, should not be looking after pets who've potentially been exposed to monkeypox. And pets should be isolated from people infected with monkeypox. And we shouldn't be allowed to come into contact with bedding, clothing, or bandage material from an infected person. Of course, those things all have to be properly cleaned and disinfected after, you know, touching an infected person. So you shouldn't let your pets touch them either. Um, Pets should also be quarantined from other people and pets if someone in the home has monkeypox. And currently, you know, they're recommending this for three weeks after the human cases have resolved. So really, that means no walks out in public, no doggy daycare if you have a dog, no leash-free parks. And to reschedule all non-urgent pet stuff like grooming or routine vet visits for things like vaccination. So anything that can wait should wait, I guess, is the best way to put that. And of course, outdoor cats should not be allowed out. Um, if your pet develops skin lesions or gets sick and needs to see the vet, you know, you should let your vet know that there is monkeypox infection in the house so they can take the proper precautions to avoid getting sick themselves. And so besides for the skin lesions, which we've talked about, are there any other symptoms that we might see from our pets that would, you know, allude us to the fact that they might have monkeypox? Well, fever and its associated symptoms like lethargy, you know, um, maybe they're not eating as much as usual because they don't feel well. Um, eye or nose discharge and coughing are also possible symptoms. Um, but of course, all of these things are fairly nonspecific. I mean, these are symptoms of a lot of different and much more common problems, right? So at this time, unless someone in the house is known to be infected with monkeypox, it's far more likely that a pet showing these symptoms has something else causing them, you know? So, I mean, the reason to look for monkeypox symptoms in your pets is if someone in the house got it, you know, and now we're watching to see if anything shows up in the pets. I wouldn't look at these symptoms and go, oh, it must be monkeypox, because that's probably not the case. Like I say, they usually um, in this situation would be far more likely to catch it from a person who was infected, not just being out and doing the things that pets do. Just sounds so uncomfortable, especially when you talk about skin lesions and things like that uh, for dogs. It's it's really unfortunate and we hope that it doesn't happen to our dogs. Danielle, thank you so much. And next week we're going to go over the pros and cons of leaving our dog at home or whether it's best to leave them at doggy daycare. So that will be a fascinating conversation next week. Awesome. Have a good week, guys. You as well. That was Dr. Danielle Jonkine talking to us about monkeypox with our pets. We'll step aside for just a couple of moments, folks. Coming up next, how can we make our salad a full, balanced meal option? Nutritionist Julia Caranches lets us know when we return.
Kelly McDonald here with Brock Richardson riding along. Welcome back to Kelly and Company, wherever you're tuned in around the world, listening in maybe at AMI.ca to the live stream of the show, or maybe you're picking us up on uh, the Radio Player Canada app or TuneIn Radio, awesome app in which to enjoy the program. And Brock, a little bit busy as we were talking about your week uh, with you starting on mornings, doing sports on Now with Dave Brown, settling in here, covering off a, a bit of time with Rumyo Way here on Kelly and Company. Yes, it's it's been a busy time, but it's fun. And the, the more busy I am, the less trouble I get into. Oh, I like it, I too. Am. I like you being busy. I, I'm not a big fan of me being busy, but I like you being. Sure. Everyone else, that's fine. It works for them, right? Just Well, and I figure... Busy. I figure if I'm busy, right, the less phone calls that go out to you That's right. during meetings that I can never figure out what day you have meetings and not. But yeah. If they're bothering you, they're not bothering me. Folks, every other Tuesday, we're joined by our nutritionist, Julia Karanches, and we talk, of course, nutrition. Let's say hello and bring her in. I love the world of nutrition. Join me, Julia Karanchis, as we talk about everything from food and nutrition to living a vibrant lifestyle. Julia, we've had a little bit of time away from you. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Really glad to have you with us. Thanks, guys. Today, we're going to be chatting about making a meal out of your salad. Hmm. You know the Kelly skeptic (laughs) is kind of here. Not that I don't like salad, so let's not go down that road, folks. But, hmm... I know. It sounds awful. I know, Brock, you're going to be super interested in this one. This is right up your alley. Yeah, as long as there's Uh, hamburger in it, right? Put some hamburger in it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, I have salads for meals all the time, but they didn't always use to fill me up. Like, I would eat them, and then I'd be hungry an hour later looking for a snack or something else. Um, I have, as time has gone on, been a lot more adventurous with the salads. And recently, I just discovered this new salad that I absolutely love. And it fills me like a traditional dinner would. So I'm actually using that as my inspiration today and wanted to talk about how to construct a salad so that it's meal worthy, especially since it's still really hot out and summer isn't over just yet. So a salad is a nice cooling option for a meal where you do not have to turn an oven on or a microwave or anything else that might construct heat. Yeah, that was my family's excuse. Oh, we're going to have a salad because it's just too hot to make anything back in the day. Right. Not, not having the air conditioner in the home had the same mm-hmm. issue, though it would be hungry later. And then the stuff you yes. get into was worse for you than, than yes. you know, whatever else you could have conjures up or whatever junk food because you were still having it. So kind of excited to hear this. But also, Julia, just to point out before we get into it, um, a lot of time, I know for me, it was more of a mental game I played with myself, believing, well, you can't possibly fill up by a salad. What's wrong? Yeah. It's just not possible. However, they can be quick and easy, but not always as filling as a plate of pasta or steak and potato right. might be. So what can we do to create that balanced meal with salad? Well, first we need to take a look at what makes a meal balanced right. and satisfying, right? So. Fiber plays a huge role in making us feel full, but fiber comes from vegetables, which a salad is already full of. So that's definitely not a challenge. That's there's, you know, no lacking of fiber in a salad. Fat also creates a feeling of satiety, but if you're having a dressing on the salad, you'd be getting fat there or also the addition of avocado or walnuts or olives, which are foods that are not total strangers to salad 
um, those are very easy options to throw in. So fats, again, not, not a hard component to add to a salad. But then there's another component that helps us with making a meal balanced, and that's mm-hmm. complex carbohydrates. And that's not usually found in a salad, which is mm-hmm. often why a lot of times people choose a salad. But we do need them, right? I mean, they're, they're, a, they're, they're, give, they're a macronutrient. They're giving us lots of vitamins and minerals. And, you know, yes, croutons would be a complex carb, but there's no way you'd be getting a significant serving of complex carbs with a crouton serving in a salad. So that's where a challenge is. And then the last component would be protein, which can easily be added to a salad if you know what to add. So I feel like those are the two spots to focus on is where are we getting our complex carbs from and where are we getting our protein from in the salad? Piggybacking on the word easy, and (laughs) I, I see... Two things that I've added to a salad on here that would work, but what are some easy proteins that we can add to our salad? Okay, so common ones that are also easy would be chicken or tuna because we can buy pre-cooked chicken, we can buy a can of tuna and even keep it stocked in our in our kitchens without, you know, worry of it spoiling. Um, other options would be like bacon and maybe it's leftover bacon or bacon that you've cooked prior and keep in your fridge. You could also add a chopped egg, which is easy. Again, you can pre-cook hard-boiled eggs in your fridge. If you're not one to plan ahead, it really does only take 10 minutes to boil an egg. So that could be an option. Or even a deli meat such as salami, which I know doesn't sound overly common or appetizing. However, I have recently found this recipe for a salad that has salami in it and I've eaten it a few times because I absolutely love it. And that, that was my, my, uh, salad meal inspiration for this segment. So you could be adventurous with things like salami, as opposed to just adding, you know, ham and egg and bacon and making it a cob salad, which is standard, but very filling at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you want that um, like salami or ham or whatever, if you're going to do that, that takes the taste of the salad a little bit too, but also gives you a bit of its bite and doesn't jump out too much. And that doesn't mean someone may say, hey, I, you know, I like something that jumps out a little bit more and or yes. I'm just fine with cheese in there. Yeah, and that's a really important um, point to bring up and also to highlight because, the you know, when you have a meal that's separate, right, your steak and your potato and maybe a side salad or roasted veggies or whatnot, you're getting really different flavors with each component of that meal. With a salad, even though there are different things in the salad, because it's all meshed together and it's chopped, sometimes you don't hit all of those different notes of flavor on your palate. So if you have something like an olive or like salami that has a very pungent taste to it that's really distinguishable from other components of the meal that's in your mouth, it might also hit more of those notes on your tongue and therefore be more satisfying. Like it might just be more exciting to eat because you're getting significantly different flavors as opposed to just, you know, a garden salad, which is, you know, standard lettuce, tomato, cucumber, maybe a bit of red onion, and then an oil and vinegar dressing where every bite sort of tastes the same. Because you're counting on if you're eating it as a side salad, whatever you're eating, steak or whatever, to balance it off. But there are so many of us that eat in order. Oh, I got the salad yes. first. It's gone. And now I'll eat the with the, the yes, potatoes and vegetables true. with the meat. <laughs> so what about a carb component? Okay. So 
The easiest thing to add would be a legume. So for me, the go-to legumes to add to my salad would be either a chickpea or a black bean. And I know that black beans might sound odd, but if you just hang with me on this one, if you added like some iceberg lettuce, so you, that's your base, and then you added corn, avocado, cheddar cheese, if you aren't vegan, um, and salsa with maybe some fresh tomatoes and even a dollop of sour cream, it's pretty delicious. Option also here would be to use a beef or a chicken, but season it with taco seasoning. And then you've got this really delicious taco salad. So that, so, that could be really fun. Yes. Yeah. Um, can you give us an example of a salad that you would consider a meal? Because for me, it's like, man, I don't know if I can consider a salad a whole meal, but maybe I get you it. Can... Yeah. Yeah. So Salads can get very interesting. So if you're not a bean lover, you can add things like roasted sweet potato, which can be really nice in a salad. Things like sautéed mushrooms and goat cheese go really nice with a with a roasted sweet potato. And that's really dynamic. Like, you know, one bite is something cold and creamy because you've got lettuce and goat cheese. The next bite has that sweet potato on it. So you're getting that like a different texture in your mouth, that can be really nice. And that's also giving you a complex carb. So that sweet potato could be another option for that. And I also wanted to talk about quinoa. Quinoa is a, I'm going to call it a grain, although technically it's really not. It's part of the seed family, but it cooks up like a grain. It cooks up like rice, like, you know, put it in a pan with water, set a 10 minute timer and it's done. It's very easy. And there, the, the quinoa, it's like rice. It's like any other grain. It'll soak up the dressing and the moisture. So it can, it can be really delicious and add that carb component. So a couple examples of salads that I would consider to be meals that would really give you, like keep you satiated would be start with a lettuce of choice, you know, romaine, spinach, arugula. You can also combine them. I do like iceberg. It's not the most nutritionally dense lettuce, but I like that for me, it's a texture thing. I like the, the crispiness of it. You know, add chopped cucumber, tomatoes, red onions, and black olives. Then add chickpeas and feta cheese with a Greek salad dressing. Option to also add chicken. But if you are a vegetarian and don't want to add chicken, you would you would be getting protein from the cheese and the chickpeas. So you've got, this is more of like a Greek salad. So you've got lettuce, cucumber, tomatoes, red onions, black olives, and then chickpeas and feta cheese. That would be a pretty balanced salad, a.k.a. meal. And then the salad that I have most recently been very obsessed with, which is I did find on social media, and I'm sure lots of people might come across it now. Um, it's iceberg lettuce shredded with cucumber chickpeas, some mozzarella cheese with sliced salami. And then the salad dressing is a homemade dressing that has Parmesan cheese in it. And it's amazing. And that's interesting to note because adding a Parmesan cheese to your salad dressing is maybe not something that you would have thought of doing, but it's really delicious and also adds a hearty component to the meal, right? I mean, we know it's a fat, we know it's a good source of protein and calcium. Um, and so it's a really nice add addition to the, to the salad that will fill you. I, I, I think for myself, making salads, that's, that's kind of what I used to do. Stuff a lot of that in, keeping yeah. in mind what we need for our bodies and, you know, knowing 
I don't want that problem that you talked about, being hungry in an hour and then undoing what good the right. salad did or putting the effort in, even if you don't have to worry about weight conscious and all that or, or whatever dressing that you're going to use on, on something like this, which even down to that helps fill you up too, I noticed. It does. It does because a salad dressing will have a couple of different components to it, which will add to the nutritional value of the meal. Yeah. And if you are getting enough nutrition, again, yeah, exactly what you're saying, Kelly, you don't need to be, you know, it's not about being weight conscious. It's about being um, just aware of the nutrients that you're getting so that your body is getting what it needs to feel good and function. And so sometimes, well, a lot of times you buy store-bought salad dressings and you buy a ton of them because you always want a different one and then they go bad in the fridge. Right. So that's wasteful. So it is, easy um, and more convenient and cheaper to just make your own. And a lot of times it's stuff you can find already in your kitchen. So, so would you oil, recommend that kind of thing? I would. Yeah. I would. I think it's, um, I mean, unless, yeah, no, I just would recommend it's, um, they tend to be a lot healthier for you and you can cram a lot into them like Parmesan cheese, salt, pepper, you know, olive oil, which is a great heart healthy fat. Um, you can also jazz it up and change the texture with the addition of things like lemon juice. Mm -hmm. I mean, olive oil and lemon juice are very nutritious foods. And then here you are just, you know, pouring it all over your salad, which you're going to eat. So nutritionally, it's great. You're adding this great, like nutritional punch to your meal. Whereas if you did a store-bought salad dressing, it's convenient um, it just wouldn't give you the same nutritional value. And yeah. so increasing the nutritional value is is a part of, of feeling satisfied after you've eaten. Because a lot of times when we're, we're craving things after, it's your body telling you that, you know, we're missing vitamins and minerals. Hey, give us some more. And so if you're making everything, every component on your plate count, meaning that it's got vitamins or minerals or some nutrient that your body can use, um, you're going to be less likely to be searching for it after because your body's getting what it needs. And salads so I, lend themselves so much more to chew the heck out of them. Julia, thank yeah. you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> awesome suggestions, especially as we round up our summer. Uh, folks, join Julia Caranches for our nutrition talks every other Tuesday here on the program, Opposite Wellness with Francis Wong. Coming up next, the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians is celebrating their 30th anniversary. Yay, guys! We're going to learn more with Marcy Yale, a national president, and Diana Brent, member of the 30th anniversary committee. We'll speak to them in a moment. much ahead still on the program we'll tell you a little bit of what's coming up shortly but business is business folks here we'll tell you about the kelly and company podcast that you can subscribe to using your favorite podcatcher we'd appreciate it if you would you can listen to the show in segment form maybe you have a favorite contributor or a segment that you catch halfway through no problem go on back and check it out through the kelly and company podcast where you can also hear the show in its full form if you're a fan of the show and kind of like to be with us every day but can't check out the podcast and listen in when you can subscribe using your favorite podcatcher and if you don't mind maybe give us a, a rating and review brock richardson he handles today's audio vanity card that you can find at the end of the full kelly and company podcast speaking of the man i'm kelly mcdonald with brock richardson
Well, Kelly, we always love uh, celebrations on this program, and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians is celebrating their 30th anniversary in a few weeks. We learn more about this with Marcy Yale, National President, and Diane, Diana Brent, who is a member of the 30th Anniversary Committee. Ladies, welcome to the program. Nice to have you along. Thanks for having us, Brock and Kelly. <laughs> Kelly and Brock. <laughs> Hello, thanks much. <laughs> Marcy, could we start by could we start by talking a little bit about the background of the AEBC and how we've gotten to where we are 30 years in the making? 30 years, I can't believe it. Uh wow. it started in Col- yeah, Kelowna in 1992. Um and it um it's gone through some changes. Uh the name started out as being the National Federation of the Blind Advocates for Equality. Um the original founders wanted it to be an offshoot of the NFB in the States. Right. And in about 1998, 1999, somewhere in there, and I, I never remember the year, <laughs> there was a split. And uh, the part that is now AEBC split away from that original idea and wanted to be um, strictly Canadian uh, with no ties to the U.S., they wanted to do their own thing, and uh, and we're still doing our own thing. <laughs> <laughs> so many years later, um, yeah, we do advocacy, we do peer support, um, we run a scholarship every year, and uh, and it's our AGM and our thirtieth anniversary celebrations coming up, and. In at the beginning of the year, I, I thought, you know, it would be really neat if the board didn't create the 30th anniversary celebrations, if it came from the membership. So I put mm. out a call and uh, Diana and five others, or there's six of you, I think, can't remember, five or six of, of the committee, um, they all put their names forward and it was definitely mainly membership de- driven and uh so i'll let diana tell you about the some yeah, well, of the celebrations well, that are happening <laughs> diana how long have you been involved with aebc i've been involved with aebc for only a couple of years although i was involved in the general consumer movement since in the 80s but um, this has been my first foray into AEBC, and I love it. And one of the reasons I joined the committee was so that I could learn all about its history and what's happened over the past 30 years. And the first thing I discovered was, of course, because of various circumstances, beginning with our favorite topic, the pandemic, we are now holding our meetings virtually, whereas in the past, any of the celebrations we had in general were held in person in various cities around the country. So this year, we're trying to make it fun by having two events. Our first event is our trivia night, our history mystery, 
or mystery history, whichever way you want to put it, but it's on Tuesday, September the 6th, starting at seven o'clock Eastern time. And I have to remember to say that because I'm in Alberta and Marcia's in Ontario. So we have to get this, our, our heads in the right space here. And so we're going to do that, and that'll talk about lots of fun facts about the organization and then history. And Friday on September the 9th, before the AGM, which starts on Saturday, starting at 5 o'clock Eastern, we're starting our um, main ceremony event for for the 30th anniversary so we've got guest speakers some from that are members currently some that are past members all kinds of people that are coming to chat with us and we're going to be able to announce our scholarship winners and award winners and all kinds of fun stuff that just show how we have developed and grown over the last 30 years. Diana, you've you've talked a lot about, you know, things that are going to be happening. For you, putting this all together, what's been the one thing that you and the committee have said, we have to have this as part of our celebration? As part of our cellar, I think the important thing is to show how valued our members really are. Because if we don't have members, we don't have an organization. So through our history, through the work that we've done, and because we have new members or newer members like me, we need to look back at our history. And that's why we get to our Um, our our theme, which is our history, our vision, our guide, forging a roadmap into the future so that we can talk about not only what happened in the past, but in the present and the present, but also about what's going to happen in the the future. Because we want our members to be engaged and excited about what the possibilities are for AEBC. For sure. Mars, what do you feel when it comes to that kind of angle of things that you knew when this is celebration of 30th, what do I want to see that is not left off or something that we really want to recognize? I mean, I think that that uh, what Diane said, the membership, that's fantastic. But there's always that one particular thing or person that should be there that you just makes it complete. Well, honestly, for me, there are two things. One is that we, uh, I, although we didn't want to give anything away, really, we want people to come for the whole thing, but our founders are going to be there. Oh, very nice. The two people that, that started the whole thing. I mean, they, we don't have the same, the, we, we split from, from their beliefs, but if it weren't for them, <laughs> we wouldn't be here. So to me, that's, that's amazing. Um, I'm really proud of that. And um, I guess we we can't not um, look back on this year where we lost another advocate, um, another one, <laughs> another one of many, but um, one who 
who had a very wide ranging effect on people, and that was Don Ray. So right. um, we couldn't we couldn't not do something to you know to to recognize him. So I, I've been told that that he is part of of the uh, the ceremony. And for sure, well. John's spirit um, would be there for sure. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. loved he loved his his ceremonies. He really did, and he would have been he would have been at the agenda. He his his thing was he wanted to write the agenda, and I got to write the agenda for the AGM this year without his help. And <laughs> I hope I did a good job because uh, we're trying to do our business all in one day, and um, hopefully it will work. Because uh, Saturday is going to be a long day. It's going to be five and a half hours, um, maybe, hopefully less. But <laughs> <laughs> what's the other thing? Was there? You said the two things. Yeah, the two things were the founders right. and, 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 and John, John and John. Okay, I want yeah. to make sure that I didn't. Yeah. We didn't miss something there uh, with with oh, that as we uh, zip through. Anything either of you are looking forward to that moment the most? Ooh, I'm looking forward to announcing the scholarship winners. Oh. For some reason, that never got done earlier. So um, these these five students um, did some great work and are going to do some great work. And we actually have three of them that are going to be speaking. Great. So oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's going to be fun. Um, Diane, yeah, I'm just, about... I don't know, the whole thing. <laughs> Diane, how about for you? Well, I kind of agree with the whole thing. And I and I want to say, I do think that from looking at the history, um, and John was so much a part of it, I'm sure he's going to be looking in on us and tweaking us every moment. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. <laughs> but I also think that one of the, it's so cool that our, that many of our speakers are um, past members, present members, and that, as Marcy said, that our founders are going to be there and that they are giving, going to give us our snapshot of what the future will be because we have a history of the past and present. Yeah, it's, it's so great to hear about this. Marcy, very, very quickly, where can we learn more about this? Uh, well, um, I should really put something up on our website. <laughs> Ah uh, yes, it's been it's been we're we're upgrading our website this fall, and so I haven't been do, doing my due diligence on the old one. Uh, but you can write to me, uh, president at blindcanadians.ca, and I'd be happy to send out the Zoom info for registering. We want Fantastic. everybody to come. Fantastic! Thank you so much for joining us and sharing this great event. That was Marcy Yale and Diana Brent, who are both talking to us about the 30th anniversary and the committee. Okay, folks, we'll be back with the next hour of the program, Canada's longest running air show. We'll talk about it as it celebrates its 73rd. Uh, also, we're joined by Andy Frank, AMI Audio Manager, to get a preview of the fall schedule. But up next, community reporter Tony Frymark joins us. Stick around.
when you tune into the show in the middle of an interview. And he'd, he'd lick it, and it was like, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a tootsie roll? Oh, my God. And he'd get the one, two, three, three. You're listening to Kelly and Company on AMI-audio. Well, Brock Richardson and I are back to join you, ladies and gentlemen, for Hour 2 of Kelly and Company. Hey, man, thanks a lot for sticking around and being with us, and really appreciate you spending some of the, some of your day. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Repeated the show, 5 p.m. Eastern time. So if you can't be with us for the full live show, you know when to check back, and you can listen in again to Kelly and Company. Appreciate you being with us. At this point, on Mondays and Tuesdays, we get the privilege of visiting with one of our community reporters. What do they do, folks? Well, they share with us things happening in their area, tell us a little bit about their area, some of the cool things that they experience and things that they know going on. Today, we speak with uh, Tony Freimark, joins us from Medicine Hat, Alberta. Tony, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, and I, I really can't believe that it's the end of the summer, but I also can't believe that it's been a year since I have been the community reporter for Alberta. Did you start August or September? August 31st was my first. Good heavens. Yeah, tomorrow's the anniversary. You know what we're doing here. Brock and I'll just give you some applause here. And and don't you dare quit on the first and say, well, it's a year of that kind of torture. I'm out of here with these guys. Um, It's been really wonderful. So I'm going to ask the question that I absolutely love people to give me their own feeling. Um, how do you feel since you come on once a month? How do you feel you've you've grown doing it? You know, I know we're our hardest critic. I don't want to hear all that. You know, well, I could. Do, you know, we always have room to grow. But do you feel pretty darn good that where you when you? I mean, if we played back to your first one, second, fourth one, do you have those few in the last twelve months? Uh, reports that you say, man, I did good on that. Oh, that one wasn't wasn't a great one, but. All those things, are you pleased where you're at? I I really am, Kelly. Like, I remember from when I first started, it was basically just looking off a script, you know, not as interactive, not as... It's just, it's a lot of fun now, and you just be yourself, you find out the topics, you have excitement, and it, it's... I, I can just tell how I've grown, and yeah, I look forward to another year plus working with the AMI team. Awesome. So tell me, what would the one piece of advice you'd give a prospective, a person listening in, gee, I'd like to be a community reporter, I'd like to reach out, I'd love to do that, or someone starting out as a community reporter, what's the one piece of advice you'd give them? Give it a try. You never know the the skills and potential that you do have. You're probably not going to be as good as you'd like to be to begin with, but don't give up, keep going. Take advice from other people, and you will see where you have succeeded and where you need to improve. Find that mentor out there, right, Tony? That's the best thing. Okay, topic one today. Medicine Hat Adaptive Sports and Recreational Fall. This is uh, 20, uh, tw- hang on, let me see if I, numbers kill me this way. Uh, 2022-23, please. That is correct, and that just means as well that it's the end of the summer and mm-hmm. registration has begun for 
the fall and winter programs at the Medicine Hat Adapted Sports. They have a couple evenings of sledge hockey and basketball, wheelchair basketball, sorry. Bocha is coming back. And uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Curling, adaptive curling, sorry. So, yeah, get in contact with Tara there. There's something for everybody, I would say. Check it out on the on the blog there if you're interested. Yeah, I think, again, we go back to your advice that you gave, a perspective community report. Give it a try. Think of the things you'd like to do and, and give them a ring. That is true. You never know what you'll like or what you'll dislike. Yeah, we'll put the information, too, up on our blog, mi.ca slash kellyco. You always got to give things a try, and that goes with everything, so I love your advice off the front there. Next topic, you're going to tell us about Alberta Abilities Network, Ability Network. Excuse me. Well, you know, we can never have enough of advocacy and inclusion and trying to make this world more accessible for those living with a disability. So the Alberta Ability Network, they have a couple working tables, and the one that I sit on currently is for accessibility and affordable transportation. And they are going to be starting up again here on the second uh, Wednesday of the month. And we meet over Zoom and we talk about uh, stuff related to that. And then there's um, the human rights table. There's the um, newcomers with disabilities and reduction. And then there's the recreation one as well. So, yeah, basically, if you want to get involved trying to make all of this stuff more accessibility and included uh, within cities you just get together with these people and uh, we try to bounce off ideas from one another and uh, if people want to listen to us they'll listen to us if they don't you know you're kind of going to get that but uh, for the main part you try to just try to try to make this a better place it's important to have those types of tables like that. And I'm curious because you mentioned you sit on at least one of them for sure. What for you is the biggest sort of payoff, if you will, of sitting on these tables? Well, you just kind of get different information as to like what other what other cities are doing to make, say, the transportation more ex- affordable or more accessible and stuff. And then you try to take it to your uh, city as well, because I'm kind of the only one sitting on it. Well, there's a few of us within Medicine Hat, but I'm the only one with the vision loss sitting on it. So it's just nice to, to get those ideas and see if we can, as I said, like implement it here. You'd think it would be all standard across the province or from city to city with that, but it, it most certainly, there most definitely is not. Do you ever sort of feel the pressure in a situation like you mm-hmm. just described where you're the only person with uh, vision loss on a table like that? Because I've been in similar situations. 
I do actually because like you're trying to do your best and you'd hope to know the the answers or the and stuff that they're giving but yeah it would be nice to to have some more folks that can step up so that's kind of why I want to bring this forward on here as well well I, I understand that too so that's the second Wednesday of each month um you get it hard too because you don't want to speak for everyone, but your expertise is being called upon, and your position there is is doing far, you know, so much good having someone at the table. So, hear you there, that's for sure. Uh, Tony, let's grab your uh, dining in at Cafe Verb. Oh my goodness, you guys! This is the best cafe ever. Mm. Well, there's a couple of them, but. Uh, the first time I ever stepped foot into this cafe, I will never forget because they were so friendly and they were accommodating. They explained to me what, from what the floor was made out of to the, you know, to what the building was made out of, to where the windows were, to where the counter was, because you actually have to go up and order your your food and um i can't even remember what i ordered there the first time because i go there quite often because they have live music there which i live for as you know and um yeah and even if i couldn't find a ride they would offer to take me home they would uh, tell me when my ride had arrived so I didn't have to sit in the minus 40 and just great, wow. great people, you know. Sound like not only do they want your business, but they're just aware. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, they're great people. Um, and, and I think it's very interesting when you think about that and, you know, people going out of their way, doing what they can, even just being observ- observant enough, understanding about the situation for rides and those extra little things are describing the place to you, knowing you want your independence. Uh, the, the food's good? Oh, the food is excellent. Mm, okay. Lattes now. to sandwiches to cold drinks to... Oh, yeah, it's all good food. I haven't had anything there that was no good, so. <laughs> so let's talk about the entertainment then, see if we can get them some business because it sounds like they're, they're great people deserving of it. Uh, the, how often do they have, is it live music in there? And, yeah, you said that. Uh, live music, and what's your favorite that you enjoy the most that you make sure you show up for? Well, it is the live music, but they haven't had much happening like during this during these times yeah but they do have like um local art displayed and different things kind of kind of going around but their live music thing was one of their main their main uh events that was going on because they had uh one of our local like music people setting it up or whatever so sounds so amazing sounds so enjoyable like you could really settle in there uh and of course very welcoming and and warm you know it's it's kind of that feel you get um when you think wow winter time what a place to settle back oh and it it is and there's the bakery a local bakery right next door so you go check those guys out and then go check the cafe so 
all about supporting the locals, right? Yep, you betcha. And our local community reporters, wonderful people. Tony, happy anniversary as uh, your one year with us. Celebrations tomorrow. We'll talk to you next month as we start the second year of your work here on uh, Kelly and Company. Thank you. Thank you so much. We visit with our community reporters on Mondays and Tuesdays here on the program. Tony Frymark, of course, joining us from Alberta. And uh, she is in Medicine Hat. You can check out what she brought to us at ami.ca slash kellyco. Coming up next, Canada's longest and largest air show is celebrating its 75th uh, anniversary this Labor Day weekend. We learn more from Laurie Duffy, the show's executive director, in two minutes. Thanks for hanging out with us. Brock Richardson, he's over there. He's at the home studio in Kitchener. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio in London, Ontario. You guys get a lot of storms yesterday? Sure did. Sure did. did. We've had we've had a few couple of days in a row. You took the words right out of my mouth. The uh, the wind just keeps blowing through the apartment. And it's like, what is going on out there? There was quite the uh, light show and the, something happened yesterday downtown something fell over because of the storm because they had a whole bunch of um people around like police fire trucks and yeah we are like we are like central downtown so for us it's like wow what's going on down what's going on downstairs and we hear every siren every bell and whistle i'm shocked that matt doesn't come in my ear and say do you have a siren running through your apartment because it's (laughs) To me, it sounds very loud, but never once so far have I had that come through my ear. So. That's the magic of the equipment, pal. Um, also, uh, cranes. That's that's the thing that scares me the most, Brock. Uh, if something like that falls down, it's just horrible because you just never know. You never know how much territory it's going to take. Uh, you you can really, really get yourself to where you st- sit back and, oh, what was that? And and you just never know. And the fire departments are run off their feet. And I know that's what we uh, what we had going on here. Uh, so so kind of. It just makes you think you go from one thing or another, accidents, trees going down when these storms. And uh, I know our folks at the the Weather Network kind of mentioned that to us, that that's the way it's going to be this summer. And they said that last summer. Um, you know, And we appreciate always bringing them on here. We've got to give Jeff Ryman always credit for that. And they always make time for us. <laughs> And um, we, know that's, we know that's coming soon because fall is coming. But I just want to say, like, we, there was such loud claps of thunder that my cat ran underneath the bed and we couldn't find him for about 20, 30 minutes. And you got to stop and think, those animals, and they're only just over a year old, they don't know what storms are like because they haven't been around. So for us, we take those storms for granted of, oh, that's just thunder or something. But animals aren't necessarily aware of that. Well, and they hear things sometimes worse than we do in a different way than we do. And if I'm that small too, you know, look at how we get worried. Oh boy, the wind out here. Can you imagine it's, it's that much more magnified for them, whether it's the sound, the wind that you're talking about blowing through. So uh, definitely something, uh, something that it's understandable. Uh, folks, we're going to see if we can get Laurie on here, but let's uh, look at a couple of other things going on here. Uh, a car 
once owned by Princess Diana, has sold at auction recently just uh, for just under seven hundred and sixty-four thousand dollars. And you may actually kind of wonder, well, well, what kind of car is it? And you may not believe it. Five hundred and fifty thousand pounds on the Ford Escort. I've never said that before. In the end, Silverstone Auctions' Jonathan Humber sold Princess Diana's 1985 black Ford Escort RS Turbo S1 with just under 25,000 miles on it for just under $764,000. A buyer from a village in Cheshire, England, won the auction. Silverstone said Princess Diana used a fleet of luxury vehicles for official engagements but preferred to drive the Ford Escort for personal errands. I'm Julie Walker. You know, you have to wonder. Um, you have to wonder for ease of driving it, but also to be incognito. I mean, to constantly be harassed by the paparazzi, as we know a, a lot of that lifestyle for, for the princess was, um, and and totally, you know, le- you know being a, such a disruption to her life and, and being a part of, you know, the calamity at, at, that, that happened taking her life. Yeah, you wonder, did that make her feel, this car, black, something that no one really is going to pay any more attention to? This, And again, uh, you know, I don't, I'm assuming over there at the time, those Ford Escorts were, were just as, you know, just as popular as over here. Um, you do wonder about that. Yeah, and again, you're sort of paying a, what I'm going to call a premium price, because it is a figure that, you know, had the car, and so you're going to spend more money be just based on that. I mean, you could hear it in the auctioneer's voice. He, he kept repeating the, the dollar figure over and over and over again, Because and even he said, I can't believe that's the kind of car, and I can't believe I'm saying this. It, it, it shocks people sometimes when you think of, wow, that's how much a car went for? That's crazy. And we have to remember, there was a fleet of these you know, the, the the luxury vehicles she would have been in. This is not a surprise to her being in luxury vehicles. So we're being in just a, a common, everyday, runabout vehicle that I'm going to use to do my errands, to, you know, go visit who I want to, to kind of just blend into the background. It, it makes 100% uh, sense. And so many other celebrities and people who are in the, the eye of the public, the media, all the time, uh, often do stuff like that. They don't want you, or they don't want to go out and spend the money where we think, oh, wow, they're going to get the fanciest device for their kitchens. Everything's going to be, and they're, no, I, I don't know how to use that stuff. No, I want to be able to, I don't need it. And there's, some, for some people, an incredible logic. And sometimes it's because they, they don't think they have to spend the money. They just don't feel it's easy for them to use. They have no interest. And I think sometimes we get away from, you know, the thought that they're human, just like the rest of us. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, if I was ever uh, afforded, you know, millions and millions of dollars, I don't know that I would live to be like, oh, I can just go buy this mansion, car, whatever it is, just for the sake of of buying it. I think I've always been one that wants to live comfortably, support my family, support my wife, all those things. But I'm not one, and some would say, it's because you're cheap. And the truth of the matter is, <laughs> yeah, yes, I am cheap. I, there's there's no denying that. But it's just, I don't know. I just want to live life and live life to be as quote unquote normal as I could, even if I was afforded that. Now, 
if I if somebody actually dropped you know a couple million dollars into my bank account, maybe my logic changes. But I don't see that happening in anytime soon. So it's not something I have to worry about. Nice simple life, that's for sure. Uh, you want to grab that next one? Yes. So we're gonna talk about a gold star family in a Tampa Bay, Florida home suburb finally has a place to call home. After Army Sergeant Alberto Montron was killed in Afghanistan in 2006 and his wife died last year, the community stepped up to help the four children left behind. On Thursday, the nonprofit Building Homes for Heroes officially gave a furnished three-bedroom town home to the Montron children. Welcome home! The oldest 22-year-old, Nazare Montron, told ABC News she's grateful. I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thursday also happened to be their mother's birthday. She's probably up there crying, jumping up and down, going crazy right now because you guys are taking care of her babies. Todd Ant, ABC News. It's it's really great, Kelly, when you hear situations like this and losing, you know, family members. It's really great when you hear situations like this. People are taken care of. And I think, you know, when when parents leave and they, you know, pass away unexpectedly sometimes you can kind of be left in a situation where it's like now what now i have to take care of the home now i have to figure out what to do and and it's those simple things that we as humans kind of take for granted and we don't plan for what if a happens what if b happens all those things so it's good to see that a story like this ends in um, happiness and everyone's taken care of yeah, you know, and I've always thought, you know, when you have the opportunity to, and some people go to different countries, build schools and different things like that, um, and, and you just wonder what support, you know, you can give when it comes to, we always ask that question, what can I do? What could I do to help out? And, you know, some people don't need you to do all sorts of things and, and totally help balance back their life or, or whatever. They need that little push, that little assistance, that little, and it's a lot of uh, seeing and saying and being honest, ourselves being honest and, you know, really seeing the forest for the trees as opposed to, well, I can jump in here and I can help. Well, let's be sure what help you need that's needed, you know, you're really, really a part of and is really a, a good thing, Brock. And I think that's, that's really a, you know, really a good thing. I want to touch on, I'm going to put this out here to you guys, and Brock, see what you feel this way, and, and I think it's something for food for thought as we listen to different people. A study of protest signs seen at demonstrations against vaccine mandates um, uh, stateside focus on three main things. The study from the University of Illinois looked at slogans used to oppose the Biden administration's vaccine mandate for large businesses last year. Protests erupted nationwide when the mandate was announced. The Illinois study found three themes emerged in slogans created to oppose the mandate. First, support for individual rights. Second, opposition to government control. And third, misinformation or disinformation about science. Some of the more popular slogans that reflected these trends were My Body, My Choice and Medical Freedom. Kent Martin, ABC News. So my body, my choice. And and folks, again, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. Um, I'm interested in the fact here when, when I hear this, that something we we stop, we think about. Uh, not, not here to tell people, Brock, oh, yeah, well, well, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. You should know 
to protect the people around you, to help the people around you, to protect yourself, your family, you, you should know what you need to do, in, in my opinion. Um, when it comes to some of the sayings, though, uh, I, I smile because for a lot of this, in my opinion, it goes a little further. It goes to some of the concerns some of us may have of the control that government is having. Uh, are we getting all of the information possible? Are we able to hear all that information? If someone's telling you something and they leave off a few things because they think this is the important stuff, Brock, I'm telling you what you should know about this. This is the important stuff. Again, we go back to the, well, that's Kelly's interpretation of what he considers the important stuff and what he's telling me. Um, so it's interesting when you see a study like this as to the things that are out there. And again, you can sit here and dismiss them and say, ah, that's just people worried the government's taking over or the government's doing this. Well, governments are going to do the things that they feel are right. Uh, so nobody's wrong there in the sense of what we're being told. How much of this do you feel a lot of it? Think for ourselves and and just don't inconvenience or push your feelings onto others. I was always taught growing up that you should never um, impose yourself on others. Um, you should never impose yourself on other people's scenario because you just don't know. You never know. I mean, I go back to Danielle McLaughlin yesterday talking about medical assistant and dying. Yeah, That's a decision that should be left up to the person. And you or I or anyone else should never, ever, ever be able to say this is what we believe and we are the right people for this situation and let's not forget also kelly the fact is is that governments what are they they're run by human beings Mm -hmm. human beings don't always make the right decision are they hopeful to make the right decision for the vast majority of population sure there's no doubt about that but they are human beings and so i think that's where we kind of lose ourselves in a situation well government knows best well yes but they are also human beings as well and i think the pandemic was a a perfect example of all that as well yeah and i think you're right it it was the perfect storm of of First of all, making so many of us so frustrated and feel so out of control with our day-to-day, our every moment, frustration and anger and feeling repressed in one way or another. And in a part of the world that we're used to coming and going and doing the things we want to do in the way we want to do them and being taught. If somebody makes fun of the, the clothes you wear, the the hat, you know, whether it's your hat, the shirt, whether it's because it's not high enough end or whatever, yeah, that's their opinion they should really keep it to themselves. But we got in a situation where so much of that, so much frustration, so much fear all reigned in to, to make so many of us say, well, you should be doing this or no, you shouldn't be able to tell me to do that. So, uh, yeah, I guess, Brock, when we look at so much of this, the perfect storm is there. The agitators that some people want to say are out there had had the perfect opportunity to be able to move in to do that. And so many of us who just really want to go back to what it was or those who just want to be safe and all of it collides. And at Uh, certain points, we have nowhere else to turn sometimes because everyone's going through the exact same thing all at the same time, which is what leads us to turn to the governments because they're the ones in charge of their of our countries. Yeah. 
Uh, we weren't able to get Lori on to talk with us today, folks. Her phone died, so we, we couldn't get a hold of her. And she's, of course, in the field uh, to talk about the air show. We'll see if we can reschedule it before the show. But coming up next as we dive into the fall, new fall schedule, new things happening here at AMI. Manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank, joins us next. Settle back and enjoy Kelly and Company right from your TV, folks. Nova subscribers, check us out on channel 889. And Rogers Mountain customers, you guys can find us as well on channel 889. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald sitting here at the London Home Studio in London, Ontario. Brock Richardson hanging out in Kitchener at his home studio. Well... Kelly, as we wrap up the fiscal year in coming days, that means that there's a start of another one. And the man responsible for those AMI-audio changes is Andy Frank, and he is the man responsible for putting me and the Neutral Zone gang on YouTube. Don't know why you'd make that decision, but he's also here to talk about some other changes that are going to be afoot in a couple of weeks. Andy, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Brock. It's always great to be here. So let's start with some of the new content that's going to be on AMI-audio in the fall. Well, new content in is mostly in the uh, digital sphere, like in, uh, uh, in like as you mentioned with yourself, with uh, the neutral zone going to... Um, a YouTube platform, and uh, the reason why we're examining YouTube as a, a platform for our podcasts is uh, twofold. One, it's the number one searched um, podcast platform, number one used podcast platform anywhere. It 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 has been there now for it kind of has shared top spot for the last little few months, but now it's. It's locked in there, and so we need to be where people find their podcasts. It's really important. And the second one is because of accessibility. Uh, YouTube broadens our reach as far as accessibility is concerned, for example, with accurate and manually uh, done transcripts and captions. Um, Those are essential to, um, to things today, so... Um, that's why we're going to YouTube, and so we decided to start with seven podcasts on that platform, including your show, which of course is a mature AMI audio uh, program. You've been with us for five years plus now, and uh, so the um, program might be mature. The people, eh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I thought he meant for a, a mature audience. I was going to say, what no. the heck am I missing? That kind of thing that needs to be uh, touted that way. No, so uh, yeah, so uh, so yeah, so yeah, neutral zone is, um, but that's coming. I think that we're going to be debuting on the 13th of September, uh, Brock, on the neutral zone on that. But, that, but, but I just want to make it really clear. The fact that something is being published on YouTube, A, it still means it's available on all the audio podcast platforms that you're used to subscribing to, like Spotify, Apple, etc. So that's not changing. Those All those podcasts will be available as they have been for the last little while and will continue to be. It'll just be concurrent publishing to both video and audio. And the second thing is that AMI-audio, the broadcast channel, will be broadcasting 
all those podcast episodes, especially the video ones, 100% of the video ones, uh, in a show called Podcast Roundup, which we've been doing right. for the past year or so. And uh, that show will now be devoted to airing full podcast episodes of various different things. And Brock, you're going to have, uh, for the Neutral Zone, uh, Tuesday is going to be devoted to you in that slot. That Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time uh, is where Podcast Roundup will present the Neutral Zone on the broadcast channel. So we are not ignoring any of the other uh, more traditional platforms. We're just expanding our reach a bit. That show is going to look a little different too, right? The podcast roundup? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be hosted by uh, Jacob Shavansky out of Ottawa, who's one of our uh, uh, burgeoning technical producers and is uh, doing a fantastic job. And uh, Nisreen Abdelmajid, who's been with us now for a couple of years, she's in Guelph. And they are going to be co-hosting that show. And as I said, the, the main focus will be the two full podcast episodes, which tend to be pretty close to a half an hour each. And they'll be presenting those um, those things. And there'll be three different versions of Podcast Roundup in any given broadcast week. So um, there'll be plenty of variety of content coming through in that on that particular program. Okay, before we leave podcasts, Andy, do we want to say, uh, I mean, there's a lot of them now that you guys are, are doing, got a lot of people involved. Uh, do you want to do some highlights or do you do you feel like whipping down the list of them just to make sure everybody gets some, some cred here and we know people can jump on board as we're always telling them, search us out and, and subscribe? I'll continue with the video ones to, um, while we're there. There's Tripping on Air that has just recently debuted. That is with Ardra Shepard. She is also the host of Fashion Dis. Uh, she has multiple sclerosis, and the podcast is about that. And she shares the the hosting with Alex Hajar, whose wife has multiple sclerosis. So basically, they have a conversation from that perspective, someone um, with it and someone who lives with it, as it were. Um, and they talk about all kinds of different things from all kinds of different angles, and it's very candid. It's Gardra is one of the most candid people you'll ever meet and entertaining and funny and so on. Uh, so that's Tripping on Air. That's available both on YouTube and as well as the uh, your other podcast platforms. Um, and then, of course, I mentioned Brock. Uh, Juita Gupta, our old friend Juita Gupta. Kelly, I think we should all take a, a lot of pride in Juita Gupta. Um, you, you and I remember both when Juita arrived on the scene here at AMI in 2016, like mid-2016, and was quite shy and so on, and we put her on live from Studio 5 for a couple of years. Uh, she's been the host of The Pulse now for about three years, and The Pulse is going to be going to a YouTube format as well. And uh, she, I couldn't think of anybody who deserves it more than Julia. She's done incredible work. She's become such a great interviewer and writer and producer. Uh, plus, she's had a lot of exposure at CBC as well. That's also uh, refined her craft. So The Pulse goes to uh, that platform as well and remains on AMI-audio, the broadcast channel, in its own slot uh, as well. Julia Gupta there. And uh, we've also released um, Blind Golf Canada, as you know, AMI has done, AMI Audio has done a lot of um, sports coverage of national blind sports associations, such as blind hockey and blind curling, etc. So um, Blind Golf Canada is got a, has got a podcast, which is seasonal. It'll just be during the golf season, and it looks back on events that they've had and looks forward to events they will be uh, uh, staging as well in the future. And that's uh, with uh, Jerry Nelson out of Lloydminster Saskatchewan and um, Darren Duma out of Eastern British Columbia, who are the hosts of that particular program. And uh, Jenny Bovard's Low Vision Moments also goes to video because she's fantastic. And Sean Priest of um, Double Tap, he's got that podcast, Sean of the Shed, which has been out there for a while, a very practical how-to, step-by-step podcast uh, on a tech front. 
and Sean will be going beginning in October. He will also be presenting his podcast both on YouTube and all the other podcast platforms. So that's basically a rundown of the video pods. Love it. Yeah. And I just, have to say, I, I love the uh, the audio promo of the Double Tap guys when they talk about going to five <laughs> days a week and they get an email from one Mr. F and they run down, you know, the things they're going to be talking about five days a week. They are just killer and I can't wait for them to do five days a week. It's going to be so much fun to watch with. Well, it's exciting. Double tap every day at noon. And this is another thing that's really important for our listeners to understand about our schedule. Our schedule is basically an eight-hour block of content that repeats three times a day. So, we're, you know, we we create, like this show is in, in you know, live right now as I'm talking, obviously, because it's that's I'm talking, I'm live. Um, but the next time you hear this particular iteration, um, it'll be, eight, like in the new schedule, it'll be eight hours later. So... And then again, another eight hours later. So um, I know it's, it gets complicated if I go too deep into it. But at the end of the day, um, the shows are on seven days a week in the same time slot. So Kelly's on, you know, seven days a week at, um, at 2 p.m. Eastern. And then uh, you know, Globe and Mail, for example, their the longstanding reading show is at 8 a.m. Monday, Monday through Sunday at 8 a.m. at 8 a.m. Eastern. Etc. So that's kind of how the the wheel works. It's eight hours of content that rotates three times around, and uh, and it's always in the same time slots, seven days a week. So you'll get to know where everybody's hanging out all the time. Right. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. So let's talk a little more about the the returning programs and and schedule itself, Andy. Well, as I mentioned, I'm sorry. As I mentioned, Double Tap is um, is going to be doing. A daily fresh show, six days out of seven every week, which is incredible. It's an it's an hour a day, and uh, you and in, as that commercial uh, indicated, uh, you know, like what what are we going to talk about? The irony, Brock, of that commercial is that Stephen Scott, who's the who's being presented with this email from Mister F, I I me. <laughs> The irony is he's the one who came to me and said, can I do this daily, please? <laughs> the, whole com- the whole commercial is rather, the whole promo is actually pretty ironic. And uh, in fact, if anybody is a bit spooked by it, it might be Sean Priest, who's going to be on the other end of the conversation with Stephen for most of that time. Uh, but uh, there is so much content in the tech world and the importance of tech to the community that we serve is so high. And they're so entertaining. I would put that show up against any other tech show in the world. I really would. I oh, think for sure. Double Tap is so good. And these guys are so engaging. And they and they don't just talk, sit there and talk about you know things that people can't understand. They're very, very relatable. And they'll talk about the weather for 20 minutes too, like – Believe me, six six new shows a week. There'll be quite a bit of weather chat. <laughs> I think they have such a style, and it's so wonderful the way they've been able to unfold. So I think it's a very unique show. It is a very unique show and, a, and an effective one. So that's coming back. Uh, Ramya, of course, she uh, is um, does AMI audio book um, review, which is a half hour show that is going to repeat several times during the week. And uh, I th- I really love what she's done with that show. It's a curation show. If you want to learn about audiobooks and new stuff that's on the market and uh, narrators and all these other angles to audiobooks, uh, Ramya does a great job with that. So that's going to be continuing as well. As I mentioned, Joita and The Pulse is going to be on as well. 
Uh, Lawrence Gunther has been with us for longer than than I have, Kelly, pretty much almost as long as you've been with him. Oh, yeah, he's been here a while, man. (laughs) He continues with Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. And I love the way he's evolved that show by introducing his daughter, Lily, into that show. It's just such a different show from day one to now. It really is. And uh, and it's it's totally relatable for people who like doing anything in the outdoors. Um, And, of course, The Guardian, which has been a very popular newspaper reading show here for many years, we're going to be running that daily now, uh, much as we've done with the Globe and Mail. Uh, so it's fresh content, um, actually six days a week as well, or seven days a week for, for The Guardian. Monday to Friday, Laura Kirker and Hannah Taus out of London, England, are going to be reading The Guardian, what I call live to tape. There's going to be, it's, it's going to be unedited, just like the Globe and Mail is in the mornings. And uh, they're going to read the best, uh, most relevant international and British stories uh, from from London, from The Guardian, our longtime partners in that uh, realm. And then on the weekends, we're going to be presenting a 45-minute long single article read by uh, actors that have been, this has been produced by The Guardian. And it's called The Guardian Long Read. And it's a real in-depth long story, almost like reading a, you know, a long magazine article or something. And that's going to be on the weekends. So The Guardian is um, seven days a week as well. And that's going to be the first airing is at 10 o'clock Eastern Time AM. And uh, so that's a a little of an evolution there. Is there any sort of, you mentioned that the wheel, you're going to be able to learn, you know, where things land, where they are. But is there any off the front time changes that people should be aware of before we get into sort of seeing the pattern go on? I think the biggest thing is that The Guardian at 10 a.m. and Double Tap at noon every day, that's probably the biggest change. And, um, you know, Kelly, of course, you stay where you are. Um, and then uh, The Globe and Mail is at 8. Uh, Dave Brown is going off the audio channel now with Dave Brown. He's going to continue. That show will continue on AMI-tv, where it, uh, it has been simulcasting all this time and will also continue to be available as a podcast. But it is leaving the audio channel and uh, we're focusing a little bit more on some of the reading stuff, as I just mentioned. Um, and that content is uh, is always in demand, and that's what our listeners want, and that's what our listeners are going to get. And so that's what maybe uh, the biggest change is the, the withdrawal of, of Dave from the audio channel. But like I said, the audio podcast will still be available uh, every day to download and listen to the entire show or listen to sections that you might want to listen to. Or, of course, you can go to your AMI-TV channel and catch Dave live at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday to Friday. So when does that begin? Thursday. All of this is happening Thursday, September 1st. Wow. <laughs> and if you think my voice sounds tired, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got to take a lot, Andy, to, to kind of you, you publicize this is what's going on, but there's so many pieces to have in place now. Exactly. And between you know the podcasts that I mentioned, and I didn't even go into some of the other audio podcasts that um, you'll be hearing uh, on our channel as well, um, and all this broadcast stuff, it's a lot of content. And but I, I take a lot of pride in the fact that AMI Audio has always been a bit of a content factory, Kelly. And I'm talking about even going back, uh, you know, twenty oh, years, years ago. Twenty yeah. years ago, Kelly, when, yeah. you, when as you a reading I, service, for yeah. sure. Well, you were you were putting up, Kelly. For those who don't know, Kelly was working worked as a technician um, at VoicePrint before AMI, way back in the day, like um, turn of the century stuff. Yeah. And we used to, and I was a, a reader and a bureau. Um, 
a, a bureau chief at during that time out of Calgary, and we used to you, we used to create twelve hours of content every yeah. single day. I know hours. us as technicians, we recorded basically twenty four shows just out of Toronto a day. Not to mention the other offices producing their. What you guys do four? Uh, we did two. They're varied, right? Yeah, two, most two. of us did, did two out of the bureaus. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, the, you had three studios running all the time with you know Bill Shackleton, Tony King, yourself. Uh, recording the readers in Toronto, as you mentioned, 24 shows a week. Yeah. Um, so it's always been a content factory. It's just evolved and changed and keeps evolving and keeps changing as technology changes, as tastes change, as demands change. Uh, I just came back from a video, from a, a podcast conference in Dallas, Texas last week, and I spent three days there learning about where where podcasts are going. And we are like just, we just kind of caught the video train just as it was leaving the station. Like it is... And I, and I know this is going to sound, you know, maybe negative to some listeners, but the video podcasting is a little bit like what music music um, television was to radio. When remember the the first song mm-hmm. Kelly that was played on MTV was um, "Video uh, Killed the Radio yes, Star." Yes, that's right. Yes, <laughs> yes. And to some extent, it did. Yep. But radio survived and is still is still around. Everybody's predicting its demise for years and years. Well, what's happening with, with podcasts is that video podcasts are now starting to really take um, the lead because of YouTube and all that. Um, and so everything at this conference was really focused on how you, uh, an independent podcaster, can make a video podcast relatively inexpensively, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that was the one of the themes I left with um, out there was you know this is where it's ha- this is where it's going but i can give you my promise here that uh, the first thing is that everything we ever put on video is also just as entertaining in audio because we are ami audio and that's not going anywhere very very quickly with all these changes how does it make you feel other than tired <laughs> <laughs> You know, Brock, I'm so proud of what we do, and I'm, I really am. Like, I'm so proud of, of people like yourself and others, Joida, who, you know, came along and have evolved as broadcasters from, uh, from near to ground zero to where you are today. Um, I love it. I love the fact that we are kind of the, you know, we're the, the you know, we develop broadcasters at AMI. And whether it's readers or, uh, or show hosts or whatever, uh, or technicians, etc. And I love to see that the new things that we do are just creating new opportunities for new people. And, uh, this is really, really exciting. So I, I love it. It's a, it's a, I love being on, in charge of a content factory. There's nothing more thrilling for me as a, as a program manager. And, uh, and I believe that our audience is going to love what we're presenting on, whether it's traditional linear broadcasting like this, or whether it's uh, podcast offerings on YouTube or on the traditional podcast platforms. I think they'll be very happy. Um, Absolutely love it, Andy. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us. Thank you. And best of luck as all this goes to air on Thursday. I'll need it. Thank you. (laughs) That was Andy Frank, manager of AMI-audio, joining us to talk about the uh, fall launch, which begins this Thursday. Uh, Don't look now, but we got to keep the show on time. So uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes, folks. The manager's watching. And we'll see what's coming up with uh, Now with Dave Brown right here on AMI-audio.
Welcome back, folks. It's Kelly and company. Brock Richardson, Kelly McDonald, host of the shows, as Andy Frank was mentioning about programming. Uh, check out the podcast, so much available to you through AMI-audio, including us. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Uh, what surprised you about what Mr. Frank uh, unveiled for our audience? Um, I, I really like the idea. I wouldn't say I was surprised. I really like the idea of the wheel. I think that that will help listeners with all of this new content sort of jammed at us. The wheel will help us all kind of understand this is where you get this. This is where you get that. And I, I think it's a really creative way to put everything together. Did something surprise you specifically? In just the production, I, I, as as Andy said, we heard back about a year, two years ago, that listeners wanted more of the traditional reading programs, the shows that, you know, we we got away from a little bit doing all our live shows. Um, it seemed to be people wanted the switch. Then they wanted some more timeliness, and then people seemed to miss that fact that hey, man, I'm I'm losing out on so much of the literature that's out there in these great magazines and and it's just so much so amazing that they wanted that and of course ami audio doing its best to respond to that brock um sir you want to give us a little bit of a tee up of what's coming up tomorrow on now with dave brown so they're gonna check in with cnib and get an update on their guide dog program plus clover thursday talks about cooking actually helping her make better art plus mike Egerbo discusses technology All right. Sounds like a great show. Remember, they're on AMI at 9 a.m. in the morning. Catch them on TV. And for a couple of more days, you can catch them as Andy Frank. Let us know here on AMI-audio as they make an adjustment. And uh, we'll be moving over to the TV side only as of this Thursday. So please make that programming note. If you're a fan of the show, you can catch them there or available as a podcast. So much ways to enjoy Now with Dave Brown. Uh, we're in studio tomorrow in Toronto. Some things going on, so uh, the, the gang is going to be there. Hail, hail, hail. All the gang will be there. Uh, Brock and I will be talking to you from Toronto tomorrow for the show. Brock, catch you then. Catch you then. Looking forward to it. Also on tomorrow's show, we get a double dose of Margaret Weldon. On In the Know, Margaret shares safety tips to keep in mind for students returning back to school. She's also filling in for Jeff Ryman with our weekly health headlines. Jim Crisco, on his regional content report, tells us about an Edmonton organization that aims to provide an inclusive experience of Alberta waters. Plus, let's squeeze in some more picnic and BBQs before summer runs out. We get to uh, talk about BBQ ideas and how to prep them with independent living skills specialist Leanne Barda. We also have Alicia Yardley from AMI's Human Resources Department to talk about employment and Wednesday's Buzz with Bill. We'll get started, folks. We'll gather together, the whole gang, as we say, from Toronto tomorrow. It's Kelly and company, but tonight, folks, take care. Enjoy yourselves. Fedora's off to you. Hey guys, it's Brock Richardson, co-host of Kelly and Company for the vast majority of the week alongside Kelly McDonald. And I thought today I would give you guys a glimpse into my everyday and how 
things work for me. And we'll take this week as an example because I'm doing now with Dave Brown in the morning and then Kelly and company in the afternoon. And so a lot to keep track of all at one time. And so for me, when I finish doing now with Dave Brown, I switch over to work with Kelly and company. And when I do that, I format my script. I make sure I have all the things I need to have in order in the way they should be. And then we do the show. And then post-show, I might be able to format the next day's script. of Kelly and company depends on if uh, everything goes to plan. But then I also move into watching sports. And the way I watch sports is kind of a unique way is that I have different screens that I can watch uh, different sports on. I use my tablet and I also use my uh, television and my phone and sometimes my computer. And all of that gets put together just so that I can have a sports topic for Dave or Kelly and company depending on what day of the week it is or the neutral zone if we're doing that. And it all comes together as one, I hope, a well-oiled machine. But man, does it ever keep me busy, especially this week. So thank you for being alongside me and my journey of my busy, busy week.